goodness gracious. You're damn right, everybody. Welcome to the Hoopercast Movie Hour. Uh, I guess at this point, it's the Hoopercast Live uh, for a brief moment um, in time. And it's episode 276. Uh, so welcome. If you're watching right now, if you happen to be watching the live stream, it's because I was messing with it and I was trying to get something to work that uh, may or may not work again. Um, so yes. All right. It is the, uh, third and I believe the final night, uh, without Dustin, um, co-piloting the show with me. So, uh, I would look forward to his speedy return to, uh, (laughs) to, to the show as I am, uh, quite exhausted doing the show by myself for nearly a month. So as exhausted as you might all be listening to me talk to myself for about an hour, which is what we're doing tonight. Um, so uh, on the docket, get a couple of movies, got some film news. So we'll get right into it. No need to waste anyone's time tonight. Uh, it's November 3rd, 2020. It is election night. So if you're watching this right now, wow, I'm honored because that means you chose me over network or cable news coverage of a presidential general election. So um, good, good for me, I suppose. Um so I hope I provide for about the next hour a apt distraction from the festivities. Um, I call them festivities because I don't know what else to call it. And that's all I'm going to say. All right. Um, something, of course, uh, very sad uh, happened over the weekend. Um, it was Saturday where uh, we... Oh, for goodness sake, is this, this is what happens when you use your phone to read all the news stories. You're kind of just lost. Um, this is on the Hollywood reporter, uh, but, uh, we lost Sean Connery over the weekend. Of course, screen icon, Sean Connery. Um, uh, we, we want to talk about the Indiana Jones films coming up on the show, uh, pretty soon. And of course that will eventually include Sean Connery in the movies. And, um, um, then this article on the Hollywood reporter is a, um, tribute to Sean Connery from Tom Rothman, who is the, um, I believe he's the current, yeah, currently serves as the chairman of Sony's motion picture group. Um, previously spent, good Lord, this typeface is super small. Uh, previously spent nearly 20 years. My God. Sorry. Over, where is it? Wow. This show's off to a roaring start. Spent nearly two decades at 20th Century Fox, where Connery had produced a producing deal and starred in Entrapment and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The latter was the final live action movie Connery made before retiring in 2006. If you guys remember the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yeah. Um, regardless, um, uh, a, a very, very long and uh, historic career in Hollywood. So this, good Lord, is this too long to read on the air here? No, it's not too long. I'm going to read it. You can go reread it because I'm not, you know. Uh, but uh, here's here's the here's what he wrote. Uh, this is a quote from Tom Rothman on the HollywoodReporter.com. In my particular odd line of work, I have had occasion over the last 30 years to watch many famous people walk into restaurants and cause a bit of a stir. But never was there a reaction like what happened every time Sean Connery walked into a public room. It stopped dead. Men and women, young and old, highfalutin and not, turned their heads in unison, sucked their breath in and froze. Yes, it's him. When it's said they don't make them like they used to, Sean Connery was that one. The movie star's movie star. 
I was fortunate to be at Fox when Sean had his producing deal there, and I learned an immense amount from him. I learned that if you were on time for a meeting with Sir Sean, you were five minutes late. I learned if you were a collaborator unprepared for the day's work, you have never heard real cussing until then. I learned that the producer, even if he was also the star, would sleep some nights at Pinewood to be first on the set, perhaps to get out for a round of golf after rap. I learned that, yes, thank you, I would like something to drink, on an office visit did not mean Diet Coke. I learned that if you left your longtime job, that voice would be on the phone offering wonderfully profane advice. I learned to treat everyone working on a project, no matter who or what, equally because himself did so, always. Perhaps he has done us one last great service with the timing of his sad passing. At a moment when the media and Wall Street prematurely proclaim the end of movies, the very, the very name Sean Connery serves to remind us that greatness and the unmatched cultural impact of the art form will long endure. It is one of, it is one of the dream come true privileges of my career that I can say, I knew Sean Connery. Sean Connery was a friend of mine. You, sir, are no Sean Connery. Because none of us are. Rest in peace, Big Tam. That was from Tom Rothman from the uh, on the Hollywood Reporter. Um, when is it? No, forget it. No, I'm keeping the stream going. Um, tribute to Sean Connery. Yeah. Um. I. Uh. Geez. What was the first thing I ever saw him in? I'm trying to think. I really am. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You guys. It had to have been the Last Crusade. Because I don't think I saw. Doctor No for a long like uh, until I was like in college I think so for a while Sean Connery was like an idea for me at least it was it was not so much the movies I'd seen him in it was just what I just what I knew of him as a, a character I think I knew about him on um uh I think I I, I knew him from Raiders of the Lost uh, sorry um the Last Crusade and then uh subliminally until celebrity jeopardy where you had daryl hannah doing an impression of him uh and that was my big exposure to sean connery for the longest time just as a dumb kid um i'm sure there's a lot of people who are checking out a lot of movies of his right now and uh and were over the weekend and will be for a while um you know he's he 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 dropped off the radar when he retired, but uh, he was with us until um, Saturday. So rest in peace, Sir Sean Connery. Okay, um, let's uh, let's talk about a. You know what? Let's go straight to the movies tonight. Let's do that. Um, I want to talk about uh, a newer film first of all, uh, first and foremost. Um, so we've got leading off tonight. We've got Over the Moon. Oh, poor lady, that goddess. So lonely up there on the moon, dreaming of her one true love. Holy Archer! Show! Tin! Ah! It's just a silly myth. It's not a silly myth. It's real. She's on the moon right now, waiting for her true love. Right, Papa? Uh. He used to believe in her. <laughs> if Papa could only believe again. All right, so Over the Moon was uh, made uh, this year, came out in 2020. Um, and I watched this on, what did I watch this on? Netflix? Is that what this was? It was Netflix. Um, and it's directed by Glenn Keane. Of course, Glenn Keane, you might know from many other uh, animated classics, um, particularly uh, Tang- um, Tangled, Little Mermaid, Pocahontas. 
um, lots of uh, lots of animated films. Uh, also, Howard on Disney Plus or appearing in Howard. Um, what is this last one? Beauty and the Beast. Um, and this is Glenn, Glenn King is directing this film, and it is a animated film. Oh, good lord. Get out of here. This letterbox is screwing me up with all this. Um, we've got a few people in here doing voices. Uh, we've got Kathy, uh, Kathy Ang, Philippa Sue, Robert G. Chu, Ken Jong, John Cho, Sandra O, oh, Ruthie Ann Miles, Margaret Cho, Kimiko Glenn, Art Butler, and Irene Sue, among uh, a lot of other actors uh, in this movie. Um, the synopsis on Letterboxd is just simply says a girl builds a rocket to travel to the moon in hopes of meeting the legendary moon goddess. So the plot is pretty, pretty simple. Pretty as much is right. That simple, right? It's, um, it's, uh, it's a film about, uh, always a lost parent in these movies. Uh, we've got a young girl who, who grows up. She loves, um, she loves science. She loves astronomy. Um, but she very much has her toe dipped in this mystical, um, uh, uh, part of her, um, when her mom tells her the story of the moon goddess, um, which is a, an ancient Chinese, um, folk story, uh, I guess akin to, you know, whatever, any of our folk stories in America. Um, so the movie is familiarizing you with, with Chinese lore and, um, while using it sort of as a backdrop uh, for for the plot of this movie, um, so her mom dies eventually, uh, sometime somewhere in the the first act, and um, we flash forward to today. She's dealing with it. It's been I think four years, and everyone's kind of moved on. His dad's moved on. Or her dad's moved on. Um, he's meeting a new woman, and uh, she is still kind of coping with her mother's death and is not ready to move on yet. And in uh, acting out uh, and still clinging to this belief in the moon goddess, she inexplicably builds a rocket and launches it into outer space and reaches the moon uh, where uh, she meets all of these crazy characters and um, and uh, this pop star singing moon goddess. And then she has to go get a MacGuffin uh, to to give to the moon goddess so that um, I can't remember the rest of the plot. <laughs> and that's pretty much how the movie goes so that she can achieve her character arc. Um, I gave, I gave over the moon three stars. Um, it's not a badly made film. Um, it's just for, it's for kids. I would say it's, it's for kids. Um, I didn't even write a review on Letterboxd. I just, I just put three stars. The first act of the film is really good. The animation is cool. I think one of the reviews called it like mouthwateringly photorealistic food. And, and that's true. We were watching it. Like her family owns like a bakery. So the kid, um, they're, they're making like, uh, um, all this, all this food and, uh, just rolling up all this dough and making this sushi. And my wife was like, uh, <laughs> just watching them make this food. It looks so good. And that's also where the film is most, the most emotionally grounded, uh, in this family drama. And, um, and again, I'm stealing this plot point from, from one of the reviews, but, but, but I, I agree with it. Once she leaves earth and goes out to the, to the moon, to outer space, that's kind of where the film loses me. Um, you have a really well set up and grounded first act. And once you go out into act two where everything happens, um, 
it just gets kind of silly. Uh, they do some interesting stuff with the animation. They change styles when they go up into uh, into space. I believe that there's um, there's a mix of CG and, uh, and and traditional animation. At least it looked that way to me. Um, and they try to, but they get real abstract. And the colors the the colors go everywhere, and the detail on the character design goes away, and everything gets more simplistic. And then Ken Jong is up there as this like space dog, and then there's like a you know you got Philip Sue singing like pop star music and this moon goddess is playing ping pong with her like soon to be half brother and they're floating around and it's the moon and, and just we're just we're, we're never going to talk about the fact that we're on the moon doing all this stuff so um i this is the second uh movie that uh netflix is doing uh, sorry not even netflix i don't know why i said netflix this is a uh, hulu i believe wait a second guys I, I need to make sure i have the right um the right studio here with uh with with them i don't want to screw this up it is on netflix where was it then oh the other one was on the abominable was on hulu that's what i'm thinking of uh pearl is doing these uh the the company is called pearl studio um it's technically sony pictures image works and netflix animation and pearl studio but it's the second uh, film by pearl studio um the first being abominable which we also recently reviewed on the show um so it's it's definitely these two films, um, Abominable and Over the Moon, being set in um, in China or, or, or Chinese territory is is certainly uh, interesting and, and good. I mean, th- these are these are attempts at familiarizing world and American audiences with Chinese iconography and. Um, and being able to have an all Asian cast um, doing all the voice work is really cool. And of course, it's good for them because they can sell the movie to larger markets. So that's a win. Um, and so just as a viewer, it's like, OK, well, that's, this is kind of cool to get exposed to these different these different stories or, you know, stories with something with more of like a regional flavor to them separate from our own. Which I think it was what everyone's been asking for as long as we've been making movies. It's like, hey, just, just keep it fresh. Keep it different. So this is a way to keep it different. Um, I just wouldn't call either of them stellar in terms of, uh, oh, wow, like this is really going somewhere. I think they're solid. Um, I think this is a little sillier than Abominable. Um, but um, uh, I, I, I do give it points for being fresh in, in, in a few ways. Um, I don't know. So again, you've got Netflix, you're not even paying for the movie. So if you have kids, yeah, show them over the moon. It's, it'll, it'll keep your attention. It'll, it's not too silly. Um, you might kind of tune out a little bit, um, after a while, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd say give it a chance for sure. All right. What's the other movie we're talking about tonight? Ooh, that's right. Um, I'm going to throw it back a little bit to, uh, to an oldie if it's okay with you guys. Um, I want to talk to everyone about um, the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Aslan, we need your help. I know, but understand, the future of Narnia rests on your courage. If it's a war Aslan wants, it's a war he shall get. This movie came out in 2005. And I saw this on Disney Plus recently. Um, the the three Narnia films are on Disney Plus. Um, uh, all the, this one, and then Prince Caspian, and then The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, all on Disney Plus. And I, that is the entirety of the existing Chronicles of Narnia films. I think the they're making more of them straight for Netflix. So I don't know. I mean, Disney, I guess, retains the rights, but then they, they must have signed them over to somebody else. So that's kind of awkward. Um 
Yeah, this movie came out in 2005, directed by Andrew Adamson, um, starring uh, a familiar cast of people, but primarily the children Georgie Henley as Lucy Pevensey, Anna Popplewell as Susan Pevensey, William Mosley as Peter Pevensey, uh, Skandar Keynes as Edmund Pevensey, and then of course you've got uh, the likes of James McAvoy in this film, uh, Tilda Swinton as the Jadis the White Witch, and of course the booming, powerful voice of Liam Neeson as the Lion Aslan. Um, so, of course, you know what this movie's about. This is based on the popular uh, book series by C.S. Lewis uh, about four children in uh, war-torn England who um, are sent out to the country uh, in the wake of uh, their their town being bombed. And uh, that's there's more historical context to all this, but that's pretty much what you did. You, you went out to the country. Um, you'd send them out to the country uh, while things are being dealt with. So the kids go out to the country, stay with this professor, and there's a magical wardrobe in the house that Lucy finds, and she goes into it, and on the other side of it is a whole wintry world full of nymphs and mythical creatures and, and whatnot. And they soon learn, the four of them soon learn, that they are the uh, prophesied uh, son's um, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. The, the Pevensey children are the four um, human beings who, whose uh, return to Narnia, whose arrival in Narnia is is foretold in a prophecy uh, that will end this uh, this eternal winter put on by the White Witch. Um, so they they have a call to action. They that they, they have um, they. What is the what is the thing Dustin's always saying? It's the the some 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 men are born great. Some men. Um, achieve great. And I don't know. I forgot what the stupid axiom is, but, um, this is about, um, them being the chosen one, the chosen ones, obviously, but it's about all of them may, uh, reaching some, some semblance of a personal arc of, of, uh, courage and bravery and, and self-actualization. And, um, I, I really love this movie. Um, I don't even know. I didn't give it a star rating. I'd give this four, I really think this is a strong adaptation. Um, the movie's long; it's two and a half hours long. Okay, so that's that's something to that's something. Um, but if you never checked it out, you really should. I don't know who's listening right now. Who who, especially if you're you know in your thirties and you you never got around to seeing the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't. I'm not going to vouch for the other two books as much because you know I don't know. I just feel like this one, if you're only going to watch one of them, watch this one. Cause this pretty much is a self-contained, um, story. And in fact, like when, when, uh, <laughs> by the time the book ends, you know, and, you, and or the story ends and you go to the next, the next movies, each time they come out to Narnia, it's this weird contrivance. And I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's a series and, and everything, but like, I really do think that the first film is so well done and so just so so well contained in a single film um so uh I, it, when it comes to me wanting to rewatch them i i only want to rewatch the first one um i love this movie because um you know it, it feels unique to its own world it doesn't feel too close to lord of the rings it doesn't feel too close to harry potter it 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 feels it feels like its own thing, and so that's good. It doesn't feel derivative. And it's not derivative. I mean, obviously, the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. What was written first, Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia? 
I don't know. But anyway, they're, they're different and they're certainly predate Harry Potter. Um, and then of course all the other movies we ended up watching over the weekend, like Percy Jackson and whatnot. Um, but, uh, it feels uniquely its own. Um, and I really like the actors. I love the children. Um, uh, Georgie Henley, they're, they're all really good, all of them. Um, William Mosley is great as Peter. Um, I really think that Scan, uh, Skandar Keynes is great as Edmund, um, who's probably the most like uh, conflicted character of all of them. Um, I, they're just so good. James McAvoy is great. Here's Mr. Tumnus. Uh, Liam Neeson is so good and so warm and authoritative uh, as as Aslan. And but I think the standout here might be. I mean, everyone's great, but Tilda Swinton is incredible <laughs> in this movie. I know it's like a you know a children's fantasy movie, but she's so good as Jadis the White Witch. Um, this was my first exposure to her. And I was freaked out by this woman. I was every time I saw her, I was like, "Oh God, that's her." Um, she's so good in this movie. She's so good in this movie. Um, and of course, I if you've listened to the show long enough, you know me. I'm I'm a sucker for these um, these finding your courage stories, uh, especially for when it's uh, children. I I just. I, I I do. I have a soft spot for that. I have so I, I I live for these little moments like where the wolves are talking to Peter about how he's not man enough to take any of them down. Now put that sword down, boy. Like you're not gonna do anything. So just just you know, give us the give us the uh give us the beavers or whatever and, and your your brother can go free. And um and just all these these the, this whole world of of citizens of Narnia are these animals that are supporting these kids becoming the Kings and Queens that they are destined to be. And I don't know. I find that really, um, compelling and moving and, and, um, goosebump inducing, uh, the score is great in this movie. And I just, I think the ending battle is really well done. There's a great moment. They don't do this a lot in movies. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite, um, battle let's run at each other sequences you've got the bad guys running you know this way you got the good guys running this way and then when they get close everything gets silent and you just see the wide shot of them running to each other and then it's perfectly edited because right as they make contact we smash cut to to a close-up of the line and then we go from silence to just lots of noises of just animals smacking into each other and swords clanking and um uh, arrows being shot and, and other stuff, you know, minotaurs growling. Uh, it's, 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 it's crazy. And I just thought it was really well done, but there's a whole lot of, of moments in this, in this movie where, um, you've got characters just displaying just heartwarming bravery. And I just love that. I do. Um, so I'd recommend, obviously, if you've never seen the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you should get on Disney Plus. Check it out. If you're if you're wondering whether or not to show it to your kids, uh, my six year old, my four year old, uh, loved it. Pretty sure my uh, nine month old loved it as well. Um, so yeah, there's that. Okay, um, we're gonna go to break real quick, uh, and I'm gonna get some water and I'm gonna prepare the next story. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk. Um, couple uh, a film, uh, sorry, a, a, a project announced of an upcoming film project, and two actually two film projects coming up that I wanted to talk about that I thought were of note, and then a, a little bit here about NaNoWriMo before we get out of here. Um, oh, I could play you guys some bump music. I didn't realize I could do that. All right, um, 
Anyway, like I said, coming right back. Going to talk about NaNoWriMo, talk about a book adaptation that's happening, and what's the last thing? Oh, one of my favorite directors and writers announced their next project. Be right back. Hoopercast Movie Hour. podcast later on and you want to follow the show if this is your first time listening you can find us on social media um connor dempsey at connor underscore dempsey on twitter and at hoopercast on uh twitter as well i do tweet all these news stories out i do talk about what i'm watching i do talk about film news pop culture and uh, i don't tweet about politics or or my kids really um so there's that. My Twitter is strictly for my brain and my uh, my interests in entertainment, not uh, all that heartwarming bullshit that you probably hate. So there's that. Although that will be in there as well. So at uh, Connor underscore Dempsey on Twitter, that's where I'm most active because Facebook sucks now. I'm also on Instagram, but that's a lot more about pictures of my kids and whatnot. So you're if you if you like the show, and you like the show for just being a show about movies. Go to Twitter at Connor underscore Dempsey. Um, and or at Hoopercast as well, but that's just a dummy account that links to the other accounts. It's not a, it's not, don't worry about that one. Anyway, so there's that. All right. Uh, let's talk about another one of the stories that you can probably see in the show notes. Um, I talked about a couple of, um, things happening, a couple of, uh, projects coming up. So let's start with the cool one on empire online. Oh my God. Is this going to take forever? Come on now. Um, so Scott Derrickson, who people might know from as the director of like the exorcism of, of Emily Rose or sinister, um, most famously Dr. Strange, um, good director. Uh, one of the ones I've been sort of following, uh, in the past few years. Um, so this article is on EmpireOnline.com. Uh, Scott Derrickson is headed back into the welcoming arms of the Blumhouse team, signing up to co-write an adaptation of Joe Hill's short story, The Black Phone. Derrickson's regular collaborator, Robert Car- C. Robert Cargill, will also work on the script for the film, which will star Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw. Hill's story, which appears in his 20th Century Ghosts collection, sees a man locked in a basement that's stained with the blood of half a dozen other murdered children. In the cellar with him, I'm going to drop my voice for this read. In the cellar with him is an antique telephone long since disconnected, but which rings at night with calls from the dead. Universal is backing the new, oh, and there goes the page because of some ad. Thanks a lot. Um, it's cool news because, uh, for me, because as you, again, if you listen to the show, I do book reviews every now and then, and I've reviewed Joe Hill's books on here. And I like Joe Hill. Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. Uh, Joe Hill is also a great writer in and of himself. And he's a modern author that I follow. Um, and, uh, I, I checked out 20th century ghosts. And so Joe Hill is an author that I, 
like and whose work is getting adapted all over the place right now. And this was something that the two of them had sort of semi-announced a few months back. They said they were adapting a Joe Hill story, but they didn't talk about what it was uh, until I guess this was all ready to go. Um, But I follow Scott Derrickson. I follow Joe Hill. And for the longest time, I have followed C. Robert Cargill uh, way back from when he was a film critic to when he first became a published author and and an established screenwriter by writing Doctor Strange and... um, and uh, in a few, and I've read uh, read all of Cargill's books as well. Um, and I think my favorite of all those books, by the way, is is one called Sea of Rust, and it's about um, science fiction, and it's about androids in a post human um, apocalyptic future. It's so cool. Um, Cargill's a great writer. Scott Derrickson is a great director. Joe Hill is a great author upon which uh, to base an adaptation. And the three, the that triumvirate of people. Two of which live in Austin. No, not not two of which live in Austin. Sorry, uh, Joe Hill lives up north, um, but uh, uh, Cargill lives in Austin. Um, it's a really cool project, and I'm excited to check it out. I'm I'm I I, I like I've, I've become a fan of horror in recent years. I'm not crazy about horror movies, but I find myself drawn to them because they tend to be very dramatically rich in ways that other drama films tend to not go far enough. So I find myself clinging to horror movies because they seem to hold the most emotional truth for me. So that, that might say a few things about me. That's not, um, not great, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. I guess I'll move on to the next story, um, which also involves a book adaptation. So I, um, was looking for my next book to read and I was going to pick up, speaking of Stephen King, I was going to pick up the stand and read that the extended one, but that's like a billion pages long. And I didn't want to spend the next four months stuck on the one book. And so I was sort of thinking, Oh, I'm not going to get to the stand just yet. What do I want to read? And then I saw this article on deadline. Um, the things they carried, which is the book, uh, Ty Sheridan, Tom Hardy, Stefan James, Bill Skarsgård, Pete Davidson, and Ashton Sanders lead an all-star Vietnam War movie. So this casting call was announced on deadline yesterday on November 2nd. And um, I didn't even know, but they're making a film out of the things they carried, which is a, what when was this? Can these pages please load? I'm so tired of this not uh, loading. Um, the things they carried is a book that happens to be on my bookshelf. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I know what I'm going to read next. And so I've picked up, uh, the things they carried. I'm now carrying it and, uh, I'm excited to, to read. Can, all right. I guess we'll just turn the Wi-Fi off. Is that how this is going to have to work? Oh God. There goes the microphone. I'm so sorry. Um, this isn't how this should work. You guys, uh, cause now I can't even read the article. <laughs> That's okay. Um, um, if you've read the things they carried, you know that it's written by Tim O'Brien, um, and it's not a memoir. It's not a true-to-life journal or anything about Vietnam. Um, all of the characters are based on people he knew when he was served in Vietnam, but it wasn't like it. It wasn't like. Uh, uh, it's not like th- those people really existed. It's, so it's true to life, but it's not like a true story. Um, and it's just a, it's just a bunch of short stories that take place in Vietnam. Now I can't even load the article. What's happening? Can we please open this? 
because uh, this is an exclusive on Deadline. I wanted to check it out. Um, there we go. Uh, yeah. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Jeez. Um, all right. Ty Sheridan, Oscar nominee, Tom Hardy, uh, Golden Globe nominee, Stefan James, Bill Skarsgård, uh, who you know from it, Pete Davidson, Ashton Sanders, Martin Seinsmeyer, Moises Arias, and Angus Cloud have been set as the impressive ensemble for the Vietnam War movie, The Things They Carried. Um, Rupert Sanders uh, will direct the feature adaptation of Tim O'Brien's acclaimed collection of stories about a platoon of young soldiers and their experiences on the front lines during the Vietnam War. Uh, script adaptation comes from Oscar-nominated screenwriter Scott B. Smith, who wrote A Simple Plan, uh, showrunner alongside Westworld creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy on Amazon's upcoming series, The Peripheral. Um, uh, blue chip firm Mad River has boarded world sales rights and will launch the buzz title this week for the AFM ahead of planned early t- 2021 shoot in Thailand. Um, who's yeah. the project hails from Tom Hardy's production outfit, Hardy, son and Baker and LA based production and rep firm MJZ with the latter's David Zander producing alongside Hardy and Dean Baker for Hardy, son and Baker executive producers, Amy T who of MJZ, um, a little bit more about the book, uh, Pulitzer prize finalist O'Brien served in Vietnam in the late 1960s and his experiences, of course, uh, through his work in things they carried, which is often taught in middle schools and high schools across America. He tells the story of the young men of alpha company, a platoon of soldiers sent to fight on the ground during the war, trekking from village to village amidst chaos and confusion. The young men struggle to navigate a growing labyrinth of physical, mental, and emotional terrains as they battle for the survival of their sanity, innocence, and each other. The book won the 1990 national critics, national book critics choice, Oh my God. The book won the the 1990 National Book Critics Circle Award and has been named a New York Times Book of the Century. Stories within the collection have previously been adapted for the stage and once for screen in the shape of a 1998 movie, A Soldier's Sweetheart, starring Kiefer Sutherland. Um, So book adaptations are great for movies and they're always great to pick apart if you like listening, if you like reading books and seeing the adaptations. There's a great podcast I just got into called Book vs. Movie that you should check out. Um, I sent them this story as soon as I read it and they responded, so that was cool. Um, Check that podcast out. But uh, I'm always interested when it's something I was already getting around to reading. So the, the things they carried was already on my list. It was a book we owned. It's my wife's book. And so now I get to read it and now I get to see it on film. And uh, it's nice to be ahead of the curve for once, as I'm sure many 40 and 50 somethings are these days where you, a movie gets made and you go, Oh yeah, I read that book. Cause you've been alive long enough to have read all these books and I'm 31 and I haven't read as many books as people in their fifties. My parents have. So, um, it's nice to be able to be able to consume them both in due time. So that's kind of neat. Um, don't know what else to say about that either guys, to be honest. Um, it's gonna be a short show. (laughs) The last little bit of things I've got here for the movie hour tonight, the short movie hour tonight is about NaNoWriMo. Uh, what the hell is NaNoWriMo, Connor? You might be asking me, uh, I'm gonna spell it out for you because it's not straight phonetic. N-A-N-O-R-W-I-M-O. Okay. Na- no Rimo National Novel Writers Month or Writing Month, whatever. Anyway, 
this article is about NaNoWriMo. It's on The Guardian. It's called NaNoWriMo, How to Make Best Use of the Annual Writing Month. For those who don't know, um, writers, of course, if you're listening, you know what this is. You can tune out for a second, maybe knock out a half page while I explain this to the new people. NaNoWriMo is November, and it's uh, as, 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 law, as, as well as being, you know, No Shave November and uh, Movember and whatever, whatever you want to do in November, whatever thing November is to you. Um, for writers, it is a month where they challenge themselves. <clears throat> I say they, we challenge ourselves to write 50,000 words and, and, and throw a lot of weight towards writing a, a novel. It's, it's, it's a way it's, it's sort of a fun little like unofficial contest. Like, Hey, it's November. Now you've got the whole month to bang out a book. And the idea is to take away the mental barriers of, I don't know if this is that good. You just, you impose a deadline on yourself for the end of the month and you go, you have one month to write an entire book. Go, don't think too much, just go. And what it does is it teaches writers uh, it's a good exercise to get writers to just knock out a draft because a whole lot, if you've ever written anything, you know that a whole lot of writing is the pre-writing stage, the structural stage, the outlining stage maybe. Um, but uh, um, what uh, what becomes hard about it is the mental game and what gets you uh, tripped up and keeping yourself from actually creating a story. You think like, Oh, I don't know. Is this character even that interesting? Or is this arc going to track emotionally? Or I don't know. That seems like kind of a big plot hole. And then you have to go back and think, well, how can I avoid that plot hole? Well, if I reverse that, then I have to reverse this too. And then before you know it, you've taken away 30% of your book. What NaNoWriMo does is it just goes, listen, you got 30 days, write a book, just do it. Don't think just, just get it done. And not to say don't think, but more like, don't worry about those things. Just get the story out. And writers will tell you that's a better way for a lot of them to get their story done. It's not to be piecemeal with all the details. It's to just go, I need to get this story on paper because um, it will be easier for me to then go back and make revisions and actually get this thing written as opposed to any other month of the year where you're just, you write it when you have time and you second guess yourself and whatever, and whatever else. It's just a way, it's just like a challenge. It's like sober October. You don't need to be sober every day if you don't want to, but it's good to go, you know what, for the entire month, I'm not going to have any alcohol or substances and I'm going to focus on my health, my fitness. And uh, just to, just to give yourself a, hold yourself accountable, give yourself um, impose a deadline on yourself, impose limits on yourself. Um, personally, when I write, rewriting is my favorite thing to do. I love rewriting. I hate the first draft of writing. I like having the idea. I like going, you know what, this can work. And then when I start putting it on paper, it just stops making sense. But if I can get past that and I can write it out, I can rewrite, I can, I can go back to the, the, the second draft phase, the rewrites phase, and then I get to step away from it. I get to go, I get to look at it as if it's someone else's story. Um, and that's the most fun thing about writing for me is rewriting myself because then because that first stage I have to work to not judge myself I have to work to not be too critical of myself but that second stage is just you look at the page and you go what hack wrote this and hopefully I'm not looking at going this all has to go I'm just looking at going this could be this could this line could be better 
here, here's a better line. I'll rewrite this line for this dumb dumb. Well, the dumb dumb was me earlier. Uh, but now I get to be the smart guy who goes, no, 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 no. God, you amateur. And I just get to judge myself and rip my story apart and rewrite it better. And then the third draft, I get to go, yeah, I guess your Ray Rider did some good stuff here, but there's still more you can build on. And then you just get to be impersonal with each draft. So what NaNoWriMo does is it, it forces you to get through that first uncomfortable phase of what if this isn't good? And it just goes, it doesn't matter. Just get it out. Get it over with. So um, anyway, this article <laughs> um, just gives you some ways, some tips on how to make the best use of the month. So it's like a little list of five things you can do. So most of the article is, is explaining what I just explained to you, what it, what NaNoWriMo is. Um, five tips for taking part in NaNoWriMo. Number one, to hit the target, you'll need to write at least 1,600 words a day. Uh, sometimes the writing will flow. Um, other days it won't. So if you're feeling fresh and you're writing a bunch, uh, go long because there's going to be some days, like today, for example, election day, where people just can't focus on their writing. And, they need, and, and, and it's okay. That's okay. Uh, I'm not going to read all the tips for you because you should check out the article on The Guardian. Uh, but mostly, it's don't mind the quality. Just just get the story down. You can polish the pros later. Um, does uh, let your characters drive the story, um, and and just 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 don't beat yourself up too much. Again, I'm not going to give you the whole list, but I'm going to give you some of the principles from the list. Um, just to wax poetic real quick here about writing. Um, if you write stories, you are a writer. Um, you don't have to be published to call yourself a writer. Um, I don't know much about the music world. I would think that you wouldn't say that you weren't a musician just because you don't play live gigs. You can't say you're a professional musician. I can't tell you I'm a, I'm a professional writer. I don't make money writing. I'm not an author. I'm not published. But I am a writer. And those people are musicians. And not doing it for a living doesn't take legitimacy away. It takes away your legitimacy if you're going to preach to others about how to manage their writing career, which I will never do unless I publish something because I don't have a writing career. I have a writing talent. I have a writing calling, I think. I have a writing spirit, and I have stories to tell. Uh, but I'm not an author <laughs> uh, yet. Not yet, but but I am a writer, and so are you if you were doing any writing. Um, if you were working at all towards the goal of becoming a more disciplined and professional writer, then you are now a writer. Uh, I just wanted to validate anybody who was listening before I went further on that. Um, the winter seems to be a time where people tend to get into a writing mode anyways because there's just like this... I don't know, maybe it's something having to do with The Shining or other other fanciful, you know, ideas of what being an author is in your head, you know, being in a log cabin and on your typewriter or whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I think uh, I think NaNoWriMo is a good thing, even if it was, you know, April. Uh, NaNoWriMo is a good thing. Um, 
And so if you didn't know what it was, and now you're like, oh, man, I want to get into this. Well, it's still early November, uh, so you can give yourself a couple more days to extend it and apply it to yourself. And you can follow the hashtag on Twitter, and there's there's a NaNoWriMo Twitter account that I follow, and it's just a lot of encouragement. It's just a good community of people to get into because writers are a very supportive community because it's a big batch of people who are all going, I know I know you doubt yourself, and writers are writers are really insecure as a rule. So there's a whole lot of like, I don't know if this is good, a whole lot of imposter syndrome. Um, but uh, it's a supportive community to be a part of. And I definitely encourage it, especially if you're struggling to to get started. Uh, I think NaNoWriMo is going to help. Okay. We are going to cut the hour short tonight because uh, I just didn't have that much to talk to you guys about tonight. I always didn't do the show. Uh, it's selection night. I'm doing this for an hour during primetime coverage of the election because I don't want to go in there and look. I have a lot of housework to do anyways. My wife is working uh, the local uh, elections and um, I needed a distraction. And I didn't do the show last night because we were hanging out. Um, I'm not going to get political. I don't do that on this show. Uh, I try not to do that as a person. Uh, it's not my strength, and I've I've had to learn that. So uh, I'm only gonna say this: uh, if you're listening, this is my message, okay? Um, and it's gonna be sappy. So if you don't want to hear it, this is the rest of the show today. So get over it. Um, I would like us all to be friends after this. Um, uh, the division that's going on is uh horrible it's depressing it's disappointing um and i don't like um feeling like there's people i can't talk to um about even non-political things because of politics or perceived politics um uh i i don't like it so um I hope that there's not unrest. I hope if you're thinking about getting into some civil unrest that you put that thought away because that's not going to help anything. Um, I hope that we can win arguments with ideas and that we can uh, listen to each other and, in the course of all that. Um, there's going to be passion always, which is good. There's going to be some hatred always. It's, it's just human nature. Um, but there doesn't have to be division. And, uh, that's my little preaching thing to you guys. So by the time you listen to this, maybe it's later in the week and the election has been decided. Maybe it hasn't been yet. They say it might not be for a little bit, but you've definitely already voted. If you were, if you voted in this election, you voted by the time you've heard my voice. Hell, I mean, it's almost 10 o'clock on the East coast right now. So definitely you've, you've voted. Yeah, polls probably just closed on the West Coast in a lot of places. So, yeah, there's no way in hell you're hearing this and still in line to vote. So I say this. Um, I genuinely respect you all. I'm glad you all listen to my show. And um, I hope that what we are doing on this show is bringing uh, joy to your life somehow. I hope we are providing either a distraction from partisan politics or that we are, at the very least, um, digging into stories that you also love and that you that you want to share um, and that we can share our passion for these stories with you. And um, 
our personal values will color the way that we see some of these films. But um, I, uh, I think we all can find passion for a lot of these stories um, uh, no matter where we, where we come from. So, and I think it's our duty to consume a wide variety of stories in order to understand each other better. That's the philosophy of this, of this show. That's my philosophy as a storyteller, as a story consumer, and uh, I hope it's yours as well. So there, I will part you with that. Okay. Um, I guess, uh, I guess we'll say good night then. Uh, good night. Thanks for listening. Um, and, uh, see you next week. Dustin will be here. It's gonna be awesome. Um, yeah, that's it. Good night, everybody. Appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm.